0: And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. This morning we'll consider um, verses 4 through 13. We are nearing the end of the book of Hebrews, 13 chapters in Hebrews, and we're going to be there before you know it. Um, Just so you know, um, I believe that we will finish um, the first Sunday in June, if I remember correctly. So just a few more weeks I may have just misspoken. I think it may be June 11 that is our last Sunday in in Hebrews. Um, So we are nearing the end would be my point. And uh, some of you, maybe you're weary of Hebrews. It's possible, it is always possible that someone could be thinking, whew, let's just get to the next subject. But I hope that you're seeing that every verse and every passage has something for you to hear and to apply. And that's going to be true this morning as, as the subject is related to these past weeks, particularly to Hebrews 11, but it gets really direct this morning and affects the way we view ourselves and our lives. So give your attention to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 13. In your struggle against sin, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one He loves. And He chastens everyone He accepts as His Son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as His children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline then you are not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees... Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Let's pray that God would help us understand His Word. Lord, this morning would You teach us, would You give us the categories to rightly interpret the events that make up our lives, especially the hard ones. The ones we're called to endure by faith, the ones that you use to grow us, to shape us, to discipline us. And we ask this and pray it for the good of this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, a few key words this morning. Discipline, correction, rebuke. Reproof, chastisement. Oh, great, Pastor Paul. Those are words to build a sermon out of. Everybody loves the sound of those words. Or for your kids, for the, for the children here this morning, um, maybe this will connect a little bit more. Being spanked, being grounded, put on restriction, or put in time out. Pastor Paul is going to talk about how those things are good for us, whether we're children or adults. Now, discipline in general, negatively received by all of us, unless we've learned to understand differently. Corporal punishment, physical punishment for sure, like so many other things these days, is being canceled it's being phased out in the name of progress or progressive thinking or progressivism really few stats on spanking in families so i found this on the website you can find it too in 1993 50% 50 50% of american parents were willing to spank their child or their children. In 2017, that number dropped to thirty-five percent of American parents being willing to spank their child or their children. And and I realize, caveat, um, you're gonna talk about spanking, Pastor Paul, there are gonna be a lot of opinions in the room. are gonna be a lot of experiences in the room. I know that, I understand that. Let's get to the end of the sermon before you judge me. So the article that I just alluded to praised the fact that the spanking of children in American homes was on the way out, not being done. And the article went on to promote what it called, quote, only positive forms of affirmation of children. And so that would be a worldview. That would be an approach to the concept of family and children. Of course, the Bible has its own approach, its own understanding. And according to frequent news stories each and every week, some judges, some district attorneys within our own American judicial system they've adopted a very similar mindset towards the practice of discipline as they are greatly reducing sentencing, punishments of crimes and of criminals for all kinds of various degrees of crime. And this week, particularly in the news, you may have noted as I did, the announced intentional change to the historic culture of discipline within our military and our armed forces as reports emerged of an effort to recruit any and all kinds of transsexual persons in an effort to be all affirming and inclusive of, of all demographics. Now, if, if you're of a certain age, and I don't know what that age is, you're going to remember that the the culture of discipline and strictness was very rigid and it has served our military very well. Maybe that's an opinion. Maybe I need to be more careful. But can we at least admit there's a culture change as it affects discipline happening everywhere around us? What is appropriate? What is inappropriate? And the notion is simply this. That the subject of discipline and what the Bible would say about discipline, it's it's been long explained away as archaic, as a primitive understanding of what now modern, civilized, educated humanity can no longer practice or even tolerate. Just as has been the case with definitions of marriage, Sexuality, and most recently, even definitions of male and female. So, what I'm suggesting to you is as we consider discipline this morning in different passages from the Old Testament and from the New, those are going to rub against the grain of all things present and modern in our culture. And that's okay. Hear it out, process what God's Word is saying. Don't dismiss it and discard it because it doesn't agree with current articles on the Internet. Amen? Amen. Okay, I have six things to comment about discipline as it relates to our passage this morning. This is a little bit of a different sermon for me. I have six points, no subpoints, points um, But this is just the simplest way I could approach the subject, so I, I thought. The first is this. And by the way, you know all of this already, but it's good to be reminded of it. Number one, discipline is hard. It's intended to be. And the passage says to endure hardship as discipline. So the hardships that are hard to live through, that is the whole context of Hebrews and particularly of chapter 11 and all those characters that we considered in previous weeks. It's hard. Discipline is hard. No child has, well, probably no child has ever gone to the parent and interrupted the parent from what they were doing and said, Mom, Dad, I think you should probably spank me. Now, there may be an unusual situation out there where a child did confess and, and do such a thing. But for the most part, none of us is seeking correction, discipline, because it's hard, because it's difficult. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. We already heard this. It says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and don't resent His rebuke because the Lord disciplines those He loves as a father the son He delights in. Not that He despises, but the son He delights in He will discipline that son. It is hard and we shouldn't despise it even though it is hard. Rick Phillips in his commentary on Hebrews, which has been a great commentary for me in this series, he says this, Divine discipline is the biblical teaching that God chastises and trains His children by means of difficulties and hardships in life. Now, let's sit on that for just a moment. You're like me, probably, in that when something hard happens, when we live through a hard season, a hard event, a hard circumstance, we can immediately think, this is coming from the devil. But what our passage is teaching us to think is, this is hard. And God can use this for my good. It may be a consequence of my own sin. It may be a consequence of someone else's sin. But somehow in God's sovereign scheme that is always for our good, whatever hardship and circumstance presents itself against you, it can be used by God for your good as a form of discipline, a shaping, growing discipline. Now we hear that about as loving and as, about as good news as dad saying, son, go get the belt. Bring it to me. No child is excited and receives that as good news. Later on, however, it's not unusual for that then middle-aged man to say, my parents corrected me and it was for my good. They loved me enough to do a hard thing to shape me by it. So our view, our perspective of what discipline is and, and the hardships of our life, can you see those as, okay, doesn't mean I enjoy it, but ultimately this is for my good. I think I've told you this story before, but just a practical illustration. I heard a, another minister share uh, when I was in campus ministry he told he told us this. He said, Yeah, my HVAC went out in the summertime, and we were newly married, and I was newly in ministry, and all I could see is the dollar signs of how I can't afford to replace my HVAC. And so he said, I told my my area coordinator, who was like his pastor, and and, and he said to me, Isn't it interesting that the Lord loves you enough to let your air conditioner? go out in the heat of summer so that you can see how he will somehow, some way, when he is pleased to, provide for your needs. And he was like, golly, I did not want to hear that. I just wanted to complain and have somebody resonate with me. Boy, that's just horrible. I'm so sorry. But he said he made me think rightly about the hardship that I was living through and suffering. Have you been there before with a circumstance? a car that broke down, tires that had to be replaced, flooding in the home, a bathroom disaster perhaps. And you're like, oh, why me? Because God's going to grow you, shape you, do something in you through this. What may have been intended for your harm, God is sovereignly able to use for your good, right? It's hard to hear, but it's the truth, and therefore it's it's good to hear. So discipline is hard, hardship is hard. But if you're a Christian, if your faith is in Jesus, then it is being used for your good. Amen. Amen. Number two, nothing new here. Discipline hurts. It hurts. It tends to hurt. It's not easy to live through. Proverbs 13 24. And this is an example of one of those passages that the world would say is archaic and outdated and didn't understand humanity. But it says this, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. And even right now, I can feel feel all the children in the congregation saying, stop, 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 stop it. Don't go there. Don't, Pastor Paul, don't do it but I've got to. So in my family, um, we didn't have switches. My parents used belts. And, and I do remember I had to go and get it myself and deliver the object of pain so that it could be prescribed to me. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I have been thinking about discipline all week and my memories of it. And I was even, even asking my kids their memories of it. Um, I went to a private school, and um, I I did some pretty bad things a couple times, but what I really remember is the time I got sent to the principal's office. And here's how you know that you grew up in a different culture. Um, So my principal, I would later find out probably 10 years ago, uh, was a college tennis player. He actually played at Erskine College. I had no idea at the time, I didn't know what Erskine College was. But in his office, he was known for having a paddle, a wooden paddle. And it had holes drilled in it, many holes like Swiss cheese. And of course, the tales being told all around school is, oh, yeah, such and such got the paddle in it. And it leaves marks because of the holes in the paddle. It's like, you don't ever want to get spanked. Well, Pastor Paul did a really, really bad thing. Maybe one day I'll tell you about in a sermon, but probably not. <laughs> and uh, the thing that I did was blamed on someone else. And they, so they called my best friend down to the office over the intercom. And I was like, well, he didn't do it. I did it. And about five minutes later, principal's voice on the intercom says, could you now send Paul Patrick down here? And I was like... David told on me. (laughs) David Gadlock told on me, and and he needed to. He did. And I went down there, and uh, just to make things more interesting, at this time, uh, my dad was the chairman of the board at the school. I was like, oh, no, this is really going to be bad. And I just remember having to bend over a chair, and he didn't give it to me like he should have. (laughs) He didn't. He was merciful. But fear in this guy and everybody else from the rod or from the paddle. And you've got memories like that. You can tell your own uh, stories. I'm going to bet that your grandparents were harsher than your parents. And then you're probably not as harsh as either one of them because we too are being shaped by our culture and kind of lessening. And we've been convinced that all that is bad and it's, it's just not to be practiced. And you've got your own opinions and, and philosophies. My job this morning is, is to connect all these dots and to show you that the Scriptures say that God does this not because He wants to hurt you. He does it because He loves you. And He wants to shape you. He wants to grow you. He wants to direct you. He wants to humble you. And it's not until we're later in life that we can realize what person would I be if I had not been corrected, if I had not been spanked or paddled or switched in some way. And hopefully you have that experience that, you know what, it was hard, but it was for my good. The same thing is true of restrictions, Uh, the same thing is true of being grounded, whatever means, you know, things being taken away from you, all of that is intended. For your good. We're told about this uh, interestingly in a, in a long story in the Old Testament. I don't have time to do much other than to reference it. But in Isaiah chapter 10, we're told of Assyria, the nation of Assyria, and they are called the Assyrian rod that was used in the hand of God. To do what? To strike Israel. To punish Israel. God literally says that He will use what was a wicked nation as a spanking stick to strike His people for their good, to humble them that they might repent and see that He is the one true and living God. So in that way, God can use a crooked stick to strike a straight blow upon a crooked people to straighten them up. And it was done in love. It was done for the good of His people. You can go and read Isaiah chapter 10 on your own, but Assyria is the rod in the hand of God. Discipline hurts. It's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to correct us. Thirdly, discipline grows us. Discipline grows us. And in this way, it's it's kind of like the pruning that Jesus talks about in John chapter 15, verse 2. Jesus said, Every branch that does not bear fruit, God prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And so God is interested in our growth, our fruitfulness, our faithfulness. And if you're a gardener, you know that strangely, healthy growth can come from pruning, from cutting things back, which would be a kind of metaphor of discipline. Now, I'm not a gardener. I I have pruned things before. But pruning leads to growing in the kingdom of God. It's a good thing. J.C. Ryle says this, Affliction, hardship, can teach us many lessons. It shows us our emptiness and weakness. It draws us to the throne of grace. It weans us from the world. And it makes us long for the hope of heaven. It's what affliction does. It's what hardship does. It's growing us through the hardship, through the hurt. God is intending to grow us, to make us healthier. Now, we all have our own views of growth. Um, you know, for a, for a teenage boy, growth is protein shakes and, and maybe going to the gym and looking in mirrors and working out just a little bit, right? Um, we would wish that growth came uh, through easy means. And if you've ever prayed for growth, and, and if that's your perspective, that's the, that's the perspective that needs to be challenged this morning. Because God grows us through discipline. He grows us through affliction oftentimes. One of the hymns that we sing, the John Newton hymn, where he says, I ask the Lord that I might grow. Do you remember this hymn? Let me just read a little bit of it. This whole hymn is about this redirected thinking and perspective of, of how growth happens, by the way. So John Newton, who grew through many toils and trials and snares, he says, I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. Might more of His salvation know and seek more earnestly His face. So sweet and so pious, right? He says, "Twas He that taught me thus to pray, and He I trust has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way, that growth has come in such a way, as almost drove me to despair. I had hoped that in some favored hour, at once He'd answer my request and by His love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. But instead of this, He made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. And He let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part Yea, more, with his own hand, he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. He crossed all the fair designs I schemed. He cast out my feelings. He laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Will thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and for faith." And then the Lord is quoted as saying, "...these inward trials I employ, I use them, from self and pride to set you free, to break your schemes of earthly joy, that thou may seek thy all in me." This is what the hymn is all about. That God grows us Not instantly, not easily, but in a sinful world through the miseries of this life. And so if you're in the miseries of life, if you're in the midst of loneliness, of loss, of hurt, of disease, God uses those for your good. And we might wish that it would happen otherwise, but that tends to be how we grow in the Christian life. And we're reminded of it. The author of Hebrews is reminding these people who are being persecuted to the point that some of them are saying, well, I'm done with this Christian life. It's too costly. It's too difficult. And to them, he says, these are the trials that will make or break your Christian life. Don't run from them. Embrace them as being disciplined from a loving, heavenly Father. And just as all those persons in Hebrews chapter 11... Some of which were sawn into, shed their blood. The Hebrews, of this, the recipients of this letter, they had not yet had to shed their blood. And so he's encouraging them. He's challenging them. Embrace your trials, your hardship, your suffering. God is growing you as believers who trust in Him. Fourthly, discipline shapes us. Discipline corrects us. You know this from your own experience. I'll illustrate it differently. So, I have vivid memories um, growing up of my father and my mother constantly correcting my grammar, my speech, getting my pronouns wrong. And I got to tell you, it still happens. Now, my dad is deceased, but up until the week he died, he could correct my grammar. I, I, would, I speak professionally. i be a nervous wreck talking around my dad of saying something wrong, right? Have you been around people like that who correct your grammar? And my mom will, st- will still do it. And I'll listen to a sermon and be like, Callie, I said that wrong. Well, it's hard to speak publicly, right? Um, I, I just I don't like correcting people's grammar. I do remember, though, in campus ministry when I turned about 40 years old, I started correcting my students' grammar. I felt like at age 40, okay, you can do it. Prior to that, you're obnoxious. Uh, But just yesterday, we had folks in town who are graduates, had them over for lunch, and they got their pronouns wrong. And I was like, "Mm, don't do it, don't do it. We don't like to be corrected. I don't like to be corrected, even on grammar, things of grammar. But what happens if someone never corrects your grammar? You always get your pronouns wrong. Well, maybe that's not a big deal. Maybe that's not a big deal. But as it relates to spiritual grammar, we need to be corrected. We need to be open to being corrected, not about our grammar, I'm talking about the spiritual life. So, as uncomfortable or as obnoxious, my daughter would say it's obnoxious when I correct her grammar. We want to correct our, our children's grammar. And I need people to correct me. Some of you are English teachers and you cringe when Pastor Paul says something grammatically incorrect. You have permission to come and let me know when I've done it. That I might not continue to do it. But there's something that relates to the Christian life there. We, we just don't like correction. We don't like being told that something's out of lo- a line. And we want, to get it, we want to get it right on our own. But we're to be shaped. And in the Christian experience, God shapes us by His Word, through His Spirit, and He uses us to help shape in one another. Discipline is a part of that. Church discipline is a part of that. So we should be open to it. We should always be willing to be shaped by others. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 6 says this, O house of Israel, the Lord speaking, Can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, says the Lord. He shapes us. He makes us to be what we are and to have His imprint on us. So perceive your hardship, your suffering, as discipline intended by God, for Him to shape you like clay in the potter's hand. Fifthly, discipline humbles us. Discipline humbles us. When living through discipline, when seeing our own frailty, our own neediness, we're humbled by it. We're not to bow up with pride and resist it, but we're to receive it for what it is. Discipline intended to humble us, that we are not perfect, we do not have it all together. We all need direction and redirection. So discipline is intended to humble the recipient. And now sixthly, the Lord's discipline is good. It's good. Rick Phillips in that same commentary on Hebrews says this, When a believer enters a season of trial or hardship, it must be remembered that God has allowed it and has ordained it for their personal good. Can you say that by faith? As you are living through a hard season, whatever it is, Or when the next hard season comes, can your perspective be such as the author of Hebrews to say, whew, this is hard. I would rather this not be my circumstance. But somehow, someway, God is going to use this for my good. He's going to humble me. He's going to shape me. He's going to grow me. It may be hard. It may be hurt. But it can and will be for my good, because it is done in love by a heavenly father who the text says proves that we are legitimate sons of God. If you were not disciplined by the Lord, he says you would not be a legitimate son of God. Now, quick comment. Uh, the passage I read is from the NIV. That's what I tend to use publicly. When I read, it said sons and daughters of God. If you have the ESV in front of you, you'll note that it says son of God. And we've talked about this a couple of times. This is actually very important. This is an example of where a modern readable version like the NIV is trying to not ruffle any feathers or make anyone feels left out. So though the passage originally says sons, we'll add daughters Um, We don't want any hurt feelings. But again, this is another example of where you've got to have the categories of the Bible more than the categories of our contemporary culture. Uh, Let me illustrate it this way. In the Bible, did you know that daughters believing women, daughters are sons? And did you know that in the Bible, believing men are brides? It's the opposite, right? The language of the Bible, the metaphor of the Bible, the application of the Bible is this. It was sons who received inheritance. The firstborn son received all the inheritance. So when the Bible refers to girls as sons, that is a good thing. That is saying you are included too as if a son. The inheritance belongs to you. God is treating you as sons when He disciplines you. And and for us, that should be received with a, Thank goodness, this is good news. But of course, in our modern era, we hear it as, I'm offended by that. I've been excluded. The opposite is true. You've been included by what the Bible says. Likewise, men are called brides. We're part of the bride of Christ. Are you offended by that? Is it offensive to call a man the bride of Christ? No. The Lord laid down His life for you if you're a believer in Him. Therefore, you are a bride. Don't be offended by good news when you hear it. So discipline is the same way. We could hear discipline as bad news or we could hear it as the Bible intends it. That God treats us as legitimate Sons. We are a part of his family. If he didn't love us, he would let us wander away and do our own thing. But because he loves us, he'll rebuke us, reprove us, chastise us. And through that, he'll shape us, he'll grow us. He'll make us to be more like himself, which is the final word. Why does he do all this? He does it to make us more like Himself. He does it that we might grow in holiness. That is to say that we will be less like the world that we're living in and more like the Heavenly Father who has redeemed us. Listen, if you can have that perspective, if I can have that perspective of every hardship that presents itself against us, against me, against you, against us, you'll be able to say things like this. Listen to these two quotes. Samuel Rutherford and Charles Spurgeon. Samuel Rutherford said this, Faith enables us to kiss the hand of the Lord who lovingly strikes us. You see, he has a different perspective of discipline. By faith, if you believe that the Lord is treating you as sons and He's doing it for your good... He says, you are able to kiss the hand, to kiss the rod that strikes you. Charles Spurgeon said this, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. That circumstance in life that you thought would crush you was used to cast you upon the rock of ages. And so we have to have this kind of view of suffering, hardship, of discipline. This is how God's telling His church, His His people to think. The devil may intend your hardships to harden your heart, but God intends them to make you more holy as you learn to trust in Him. Now as we prepare to come to the table, how do we transition from all of this to this? By faith. Well, maybe it's good to be reminded of what we were told the Messiah would do for us. That He would literally be chastised for us. He would be disciplined for us. So listen to this summary from Isaiah chapter 53. And be reminded of the discipline He endured for His church. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. He took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was punished by God, stricken by Him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And by those wounds, we are healed because the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer, to make his life an offering for our sin. And because he suffered for our iniquities, many are now justified through Him. That's what the prophet Isaiah says about the Messiah. He was disciplined. He was chastised. He was afflicted. He was stricken and smitten by God for His church. That's how we come to the table. Understanding He took the ultimate discipline that our sin deserved. And by faith, He took it for us. We escape it all, and all the glories of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are ours. We can endure our hardship as discipline, because He endured the harshest of discipline for us, for His church. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You that You promised to love us like sons. And so, Lord, though it is so hard and can hurt so much, to live through the circumstances and miseries of this life. I pray, Lord, that this morning you've given us new eyes to see how you offer yourself and you offer us hope in the midst of trial, suffering, and hard circumstances. Lord, would you give us a faith to believe this? And as we come to the table and as we sing of that sacrifice that you paid for your church, may you renew our hearts and our wills, that we might endure hardship as discipline, coming from a loving Heavenly Father. And we ask this and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.